Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What's up, friends? Graham Bolden here. So glad you're here listening to episode 443 of the Speaker Lab podcast. And you're going to hear from me and Bobby Umar, a great speaker, coach, and author who will be uh, talking to us about his journey to speaking, also how he scaled his business and the world of TEDx, which is something uh, that he has had a lot of experience with. Now, if you look Bobby up, you're going to see that he speaks and coaches, does workshops and all sorts of different topics from networking, leadership, personal branding, social media, which is where uh, a lot of aspiring speakers really want to be. But before you get there, you really have to hone in on one one niche and get really, really good at solving one specific problem for one specific audience. And so Bobby's going to tell us how all the different balls he's been juggling uh, have come out of being focused on one specific area of expertise and scaling from there rather than starting out trying to figure out how to speak to everybody all at once, which if you listen to the show, you know, that is not something that we would recommend. Now, if you are struggling to decide on your niche or you can't figure out what specific problem your audience needs the most help with, Bobby's going to give some specific examples on how he made those decisions throughout his career and developed his pitch so he was getting hired for the topics that he was best at. Bobby's story is really just full of great insights into how you know it's the right time to pivot your speaking business by coaching or writing a book or teaching a course or giving a TEDx talk. Also, like we mentioned, if TEDx is uh, something that you are interested in, Bobby's done five of them. He has some great tips for making those TEDx talks part of your brand, leveraging them into future speaking engagements. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Bobby Umar. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we're joined by Bobby Omer. And uh, we're going to be chatting about his speaking journey, talk a little bit about TEDx and uh, some of the adventures that he's had there. Uh, Bobby, thanks for joining us today. Uh, happy to be here, Grant. Thanks. Uh, all right. First of all, let's talk about this. As a speaker, uh, one thing that's important is for uh, being able to to give a name that's easy for people to remember and spell and understand, uh, especially like when it comes to a domain. So we were talking a little bit beforehand. Your last name is uh, like it took a little bit of explanation for to, to get it. So have you found that that's a, any challenge at all for speaking at all? No, because I think uh, ever since I started my speaking career, I was going with Bobby Umar for the longest time. And only in the last three, four years have I, have I been saying, no, no, it's pronounced Umar. But for the most part, I don't let it bother me because it is a pretty simple name to say. It's short and sweet. And so I don't really get into that. I only get into that with maybe someone like you or a friend say, hey, here's how it's really pronounced. But on the stage, I don't worry about it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So for context sake, why don't you give us a little, a little uh, uh, setup of like, what does business look like for you today and how does speaking kind of fit into the mix? Yeah. So I started my business 17 years ago. It was primarily about speaking, motivational speaking. And so now today, 
It's mostly that, although I would say there's a huge coaching contingent, and also now I've digitized a lot of my programs, so there's an online program component as well. So it's really combined those three things. And the other thing I learned over the years as a speaker was that it wasn't about being a speaker, it was about being an expert in certain areas. So now I position myself, okay, you know what, I'm an expert in these, these different areas, thought leadership, personal branding, networking, things like that. And that's where speaking is part of it, coaching is part of it, programs part of it, the books are part of it, and it's all, uh, it's all part of that, that kind of umbrella brand. What has that kind of evolution looked like for you? Because I think one of the challenges for speakers is everything you kind of laid out there, you know, speaking, coaching, consulting, programs, like we, we want to do all the things, but as you and I both know, like you can't do all the things at once. So something's going to come first, something's going to come last. So how has that kind of evolution taken place for you? Well, I think uh, working with a coach uh, in the early days of my business, you know, because I had the speaking business of speaking was everything's fine. But then I was like, well, how do I scale this up? And so one of my, my coach told me, like, you have to find a way to scale and commoditize your products. And that's where we started to come up with the online programs. And, and group coaching was a way to, again, get scale around what I'm doing. Because speaking is great, but I also don't want to speak 200 times per year and travel around the world because I have kids. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to commoditize and scale. So about about seven, eight years in, I started looking at, okay, how do I create products around what I'm doing around my expertise, per se? And that's when the book came. That's when the first uh, networking master program came. That's when I started building uh, different types of products. And so that's, and then I think during the pandemic, I started doing more coaching because, you know, there wasn't as much speaking. Virtual, you know, it was virtual speaking, of course, but coaching became a big part of what I started doing actually in the last two, three years. It wasn't a focus, but that evolution has now made it a, a big focus for me, actually, nowadays. You mentioned that it was about seven, eight years in whenever you started thinking about some of these alternative options of what you could do to kind of diversify, just uh, get away from just having to be on a plane all the time. But of all the different menu of choices and options, like how did you land on, you know, doing a book next or, or when coaching came into the play or like how did you kind of figure out the, the sequencing of it? Well, sometimes they kind of come down the pipeline. I mean, having been speaking for a long time, and two things happen. So speaking a long time and building expertise around, you know, I first was known as a networking guy. Then I became known as a personal branding guy. And then I became the digital marketing guy. And the digital influence piece was another thing that happened. I started getting a lot of traction on Twitter, starting getting lots of followers, starting getting jobs from that. And I was like, okay, you know what? Social media is a really good thing to do. Let me build this up. I started, so I started building that up. And around that time, that's when people started coming to me. Hey, do you have a book? Do you have a book? Do you have a book? I'm like, no, I don't have a book. No, I don't have a book. And then I was like, you know what? I better write a book. And so uh, that's when I realized, okay, I'll write the book. And that was a natural thing. And then when I started working with a coach, that's when he said, Bobby, you also have to have a program. And so with his advice, you know, I started working on a program that I could have. And pretty soon I started putting more programs together. The coaching kind of came, it wasn't my natural thing I wanted to do. I mean, I prefer to be in a, a stage in front of, you know, a thousand people or 500 people. Um, but a lot of people wanted to say, hey, listen, I'd like to get your help one-on-one. -on -one. And the good news was that my coach said, well, you know, you can charge way more for them. Oh, okay, great. So let's do that. And so I started uh, getting dabbling in coaching uh, as one-on-one -on -one, as well as the group coaching piece. Gotcha. Now, one of the things you touched on there is that uh, as you uh, in terms of different topics and, and expertise that you help with, you mentioned, you know, networking and personal branding and digital marketing, like those are big categories. So how what's the evolution been like for you in terms of has it always kind of been those three main buckets Have that has that kind of uh, no, the, totally the, has evolved. that expanded over time? Or no, yeah, I, what, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So it completely, totally evolved over time. So in the, in the beginning, when I launched, 
I was working with a speaking mentor and he said, come up with three topics. So I had these three topics that was pitching to the world. And I remember doing the first topic twice and then I started getting feedback from people and it started evolving what I was doing. The other two topics, I don't even remember what they were, but I stopped doing those. And that's when I started focusing on networking and leadership development specifically. People want to hear about leadership, people want to hear about networking. So I evolved that by getting feedback, talking to people and things like that. And then uh, I, I remember in 2008, I was speaking at a conference about networking and how, I, how it refers to your personal brand and having, had a, having a branding background. People were like, well, what is that? What do you mean by that? And then next thing you know, that started to take off. And then once the digital platform started building up on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and what I've built over the last like 10 years, people wanted to know more about that. How'd you get half a million followers on Twitter? How'd you get 47,000 followers on LinkedIn? Okay, let me talk about that. And then, you know, I think at a certain point in time, especially when I got my speaker agent, I had a lot of topics that I could talk to because leadership development is very broad, because digital marketing is very broad, because, you know, relationship building, branding is very broad. I, I had, I remember at one point, about seven topics on my speaker profile. And I was like, you know, like, I need to find a way to really hone this in. What, what are the key things I want to do? And, uh, you know, what I've done now is I've, I've created an umbrella called Thought Leadership. Under the umbrella of thought leadership, everything will fit in. Personal branding, speaking, storytelling, digital presence and content, and building meaningful relationships. And I, and I lump them all under that one brand umbrella of thought leadership, and that's kind of what I talk about now. And sometimes people want, they want an aspect of that. They want to tell me more about Twitter and LinkedIn. Tell me more about you know, networking and authentic connection. Tell me more about personal branding. And I say, yeah, I can talk about that. And I always relate it back to building a thought leadership brand. And so that's kind of what I do now. How do you find that right balance between uh, not going so broad and, and vague where like I, I talk about a whole bunch of different things and it starts to appeal to everybody and nobody at the same time uh, versus becoming so narrow that I, I, you know, all I do is talk about LinkedIn and like that could certainly work and there are speakers that do that. But what have you found or what advice would you give to other speakers in terms of like what what is that right balance? Yeah. And that's I will say that's something that I continually struggle with today. It's a hard thing to to work for yourself. I'm somebody who gets very distracted. I have a lot of things. I, I was always a you know, before I became a speaker, I was in the corporate in my fourth corporate, uh, like different types of jobs. And I was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. So I realized that having specific expertise in, in specific areas, the niching piece is actually really powerful because then you become known as the thought leader in that area and you can start to charge more versus being a generalist. Most people are hiring for the specific. So when I go after a client, for example, I'm very specific about what I can help them with. Like if I, if I know that person wants LinkedIn Twitter help, that's what, I, that's what I pitch. I don't pitch everything else. When I know somebody wants to talk about personal branding, that's what I'm pitching to people. Because I think having that niche and even when you target folks, it's way better to get that they want they want that versus the generalist piece. The generalist piece now only comes to play if uh, you know people say, "Hey, can you do this?" Can you like for example, someone say, "Can you talk about business development?" Yeah, I could talk about that. Sure, but let me throw in why it's important to thought leadership. Well, let me throw in why it's important around your brand. Like, oh, okay, that sounds great, and then I'll go do that. Uh, but for the most part, focusing having that balance of you know for me three to five is a good number for speakers. I always tell my speaker clients that I coach. Start with three. What's the big three? Create that triangle. Uh, many years ago, it was networking, you know, uh, which was basically connection with the self, or sorry, connection with other people. Then there was personal brand connection with the self. Then there was a digital marketing connection with the world. And I framed that under what I call the power of connection. So that was kind of my brand I was putting out there. And for me, I like the little triangle where two topics can be related, one maybe not so, or all three are related around the main brand you are. And uh, for me now, I've changed it to the thought leadership branding. But again, I think three is a good starting point.
How do you try to balance the from like a like an outward marketing perspective, whether that's going to be posting on social or your demo video or your website and kind of the language that you use? Because someone that may be coming to you saying, hey, we need some help with digital marketing and someone that's looking for help with personal branding may, may have two totally different needs and be talking two different languages. So how do you try to balance like who am I really communicating to and how do I make sure that uh, that I'm, I'm ideally hitting both audiences and not confusing one side or the other? Well, by framing it under thought leadership branding and having done newsletters and articles and blog posts and videos specifically about that, and I talk about that a lot, it's, I'm, very, it's able, I'm very easily able to, on LinkedIn, do a video on personal branding and then relate it back to thought leadership. I'm able to do a video on Instagram or a reel on Instagram talking about authentic connection, how to DM people properly, and then relate it back to thought leadership branding. So the framework in which I've created that umbrella and I have a model that I use, that works really well for me. So, you know, when I'm out there, I'm talking about relationships, personal branding, storytelling, speaking, mindset, confidence, and digital presence and content. So those are the big five. And it's the, the five pieces of the thought leadership brain piece that I talk about all the time. Gotcha. Now, whenever it comes to those topics, again, those are kind of big topics. So how have you kind of landed on who the ideal client is for this? Because I think that's, again, another another challenge for speakers in general is the um, here's this topic, whether it's, you know, customer service or leadership or motivation that can appeal to a really broad spectrum of uh, potential audiences. So how have you kind of narrowed down and figured out like, yes, this could be applicable and relevant to a lot of different audiences, but here's where I know that I'm best. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, again, that's always a very hard thing. I, you know, I read the, the trends of what people are looking for, uh, depending on, you know, year to year. And, you know, one of the things that, that's happened now in the last two, three years because of the pandemic is digital presence became a much hot, hotter topic. Storytelling became a much hotter topic. So the way I do this is like during the pandemic, I actually set up 400 Zoom calls throughout the year because business died for seven months. I made no money for seven months. And I basically had 400 Zoom calls and found out what the trends were. People were thinking about digital presence. People were thinking about how do I storytell better to my remote teams when I'm on videos, when I see them. And so I started drafting content and focusing on those areas. So now, for example, when I'm pitching to um, corporate clients, I focus on mostly you know senior teams of big companies because most executives don't know how to use Twitter, don't know how to use LinkedIn. They're terrified of digital presence. So I focus on, listen, how's your digital presence? How's your thought? Is your brand? Do you know how to use LinkedIn, Twitter? Let me help you. And that's the pitch. Eventually, when I see them, I might talk about personal branding. I might talk about I might talk about relationship building and storytelling. But that's the pitch that I'm doing for the corporate clients. Now you mentioned you touched on this earlier, but to go back in time, you you came from a corporate background. What were you doing pre-speaking? Yeah, so I've had several careers. So first, I was an aerospace design engineer. Did that for four years. Then I worked in the performing arts. I ran a musical theater company, producing and directing musicals, and uh, and then I did a little bit dabble in teaching. And then eventually, I went into uh, brand marketing after my MBA. I worked for Kraft and Unilever for several years, and then then I was like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I feel stuck. What do I want to do with my life? And so that's when I dove into my personal brand, figured this out, and then the speaking career launched, and I haven't looked back. How did the speaking career launch? Because you make it sound simple, um, and, and we both know like it, yeah, it, no, it's not sure. always that simple. But to go from like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm, you know, I'm a brand manager at Kraft or yeah, Unilever yeah. too, all of a sudden like my speaking career blows up. Like that's not a, I quit my job on Friday yeah. and I'm a full-time speaker on Monday. So walk, walk us through yeah, that. Yeah, it was a journey. I mean, I, I spent like three to four months trying to figure out what I want to do. I interviewed lots of people. I talked to a bunch of folks. I did surveys. I had, a, you know, I, had a, I already had a very large network at the time. So I basically, had, I even had a hundred people, hundred plus people 
answer my survey to help me figure out what kind of things I want to talk about. And then when I launched my business, I sent out 500 brochures to people I knew. I sent out an email to 3,000 people I knew. And the first years of my business were all about referrals. I had my three speaking topics. I put that out there. It was slow at first. Referrals started coming in. But then once I started delivering and seeing what I was actually good at, I got better at pitching. And But to me, uh, the, the network... And putting it out there was the it was a slow start to begin with, but you know I was very confident in emailing three thousand people and sending those brochures out. So uh, it, it was slow. I mean, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. I had to figure out my topics. I had to you know put myself out there, talk to people. Sometimes you had to negotiate your rate, and I you know wasn't charging very much in the beginning. But then I started to learn. You know, okay, now I can charge more and keep keep pushing the price. Pretty soon there was a bottom level of what I wouldn't you know get out of the bed for. And I started learning that as I went along. And I think, you know, uh, often we talk about what you do differently. Uh, you know, my business started out pretty slow. And I wish I'd gotten a coach in the very beginning because I didn't get a coach until like my sixth or seventh year. And that's when things started to really focus. Things started to really scale. Now, the you mentioned the uh, you, you put together a couple different topics. You did a bunch of surveys. You sent out a bunch of emails, a bunch of brochures. But even prior to that, were you are you always been interested in speaking as part of some of the work that you were doing with with Craft or Unilever? Were you doing some speaking on their behalf and was like, hey, this is this is good, or I enjoy this, or I want to do more of this, or like where does speaking kind of come into the the mix? Yeah, so I would say it goes back to the time being a camp counselor. Right, so uh, in my youth, I was a camp counselor. I was the fun, energetic guy. I would lead the teams and tell them what to do, and I would lead all the activities. And then I started teaching uh, high school kids for this special program called Shad Valley. It's for gifted high school kids, grade 10, 11, 12. And uh, I loved doing that. And I, and I met my mentor there. He said, Bobby, you're a really good speaker. Have you ever thought about speaking? I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying to make it up in the corporate world. And then when I was in the corporate world, we'd, uh, we had off-sites. And I'd say, hey, I'll, I'll run a team building event. So I ran a team building event. And they're like, wow, Bobby, that was amazing. You had such great you know, details. And you brought it back to the business. Have you ever thought about becoming a speaker? I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm trying to make it in the corporate world. And then, and then when I finally, honestly, let, let go of my last corporate job, I was like, man, what do I do with my life? And I talked to my four best friends. I call them the Council of Omer. And I said, guys, I don't want to go back to this, you know, I don't know. And they're like, have you ever thought about becoming a professional speaker? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Everyone's been telling me this. Okay, maybe I should do this. So, you know, that that is, I've been told for many years with all the stuff I was doing, with speaking and training with, with kids and with the corporate offsites, that it was a thing to do. But then when I talked to my best friends, when I did my personal brand process, everything screamed and was validated by the fact that yes, you would be great as a speaker. And so when I when I launched into it, I had more confidence than I think most people would because it was validated by the by the process. Now, it's one thing to say, have some people just validate and say like, hey, you, you should be a speaker. Have you ever considered this? But where do you go from there? Meaning that there's a lot of people who are interested in speaking and maybe have done some speaking as part of their work or some hobbies or whatever it may be. But to do, you know, to do that, you know, when some stuff falls in your lap here and there is one thing to build a business and make like a sustainable income doing that is two totally different things. So at the time, were you thinking like, yeah, I would love to be a professional speaker. I just need, do I just like, where do I go for that? You know, sign me up. So what were those steps to going? I know you mentioned like the, the survey, uh, the, the emails, the brochure, but how do you even know to do that to, in order to get gigs in the first place? Well, I mean, I also had a business background and I also had uh, been an entrepreneur many years, but like multiple times. When I ran my theater company, I had run that business. It was a nonprofit, but it's still running a business that grew to, from two to 150 people in four years. I, I've always been an entrepreneur. So for me, uh, I had a business mindset. 
I was like, when I did the survey, it was about, I want to understand what the market's going to bear, what kind of topics you guys want. I was doing my research, right? So, and then I took part of this uh, business program to, to launch my business, and I had to do a business plan to kind of lay out exactly what I want to do to validate what I was what I was trying to do. So, for me, I did all that work to make sure I was clear on the market offering, who the target was, and also be clear on my, on my topics, which also was helped by that mentor I spoke to. He said, you know, come up with three topics. So, I did. Ask people for feedback. What do you think? Is this something you'd want for at your organization or your conference? And in doing so, I was basically validating the business model of what I was trying to do. And I realized that based on my modeling, I could make a living off of this. So I, I went in. I, I did the due diligence, right? I mean, it didn't it didn't happen overnight. Uh, you know, it took me three four months, having lost my job, trying to figure out what I want to do. Then I spent three four months actually working on the business plan, taking that program. So within six months, though, I had the official launch. That's when I sent out the brochure. That's when I sent out the the emails. But I was at that point, I was ready. Brochures. That was a while. How long ago yeah, was that? Yeah, like, seventeen years ago. It was like. Uh, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still send out brochures today? No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm all digital now, baby. Okay. All right. All right. Brochures, I was going to say, that's, that's old school. I that's know, like sending VHS tapes out for sure, demo sure. videos. <laughs> Now, the, uh, you're, you're starting to build some momentum there. And you mentioned like early on, especially like it just takes a while. And, and we tell, we remind speakers all the time, like speaking is very much a momentum business. And the more you speak, the more you speak. And so early on, it feels like you're, you're pushing a boulder uphill and you're just like, man, I'm just, I'm just barely getting any traction there. But like you said, you start to book some gigs and it leads to other gigs and spinoff and repeat and referral and that sort of thing. It starts to compound. But especially early on there, were there times where you're like, why am I doing this or what's the point or is this worth it or I don't feel like I'm making enough traction or quickly enough and maybe I should just go back to the corporate world or how are you kind of like juggling that or, or balancing that mentally? Yeah, I think mindset is a very important issue to navigate and I can tell you that every single person like myself, even in the beginning and even now sometimes wonders, is this the thing you want to do or what I want to do? Um, what I will say though is that at the time I was also distracted by my children because my son was born a year into my business. I you know, I started I launched my business, my son was born, global recession in two thousand eight. And then my daughter came two years later. So I was very distracted by that and I was also very focused as a doting dad. So I think that that certainly helped fuel my purpose. Like, no, no, I wanna build this, I wanna build this up. I'm really motivated to do that. Uh, but you know, I think there there's always there's doubts you have about your pricing, there's doubts you have about am I doing the right thing marketing? Have I done enough? Am I doing it the right way? So I think it's a normal thing to feel, but I think uh, for for my for my part, you know, I was I'm I'm constantly learning how to do things. I like to feed, get feedback, and I I'm constantly evolving as I go. And so uh, I think overall, um, I was pretty confident I could build it. I was also from a mindset perspective okay with the slow build. I knew that it would take some time. In fact, as as a dad, I probably didn't work as hard as other people did. Like you know, the people hustle sixty hours a week. I was probably a 30 hour a week entrepreneur at the time. And did it impact the business in the beginning? Yes, but I didn't care so much because I had a roof over my head and my kids were my primary focus. And I don't regret for a minute spending the time with them while they were home. Now they can't stand, now they don't wanna be with me anymore. But you know, like, but back then, it was really, really important to me. So I didn't start to really take serious, okay, now what's the plan? Uh, after about uh, about three years in, I was like, okay, you know what? I remember my dad, I say, so he said, Bobby, you made the same amount of money last year as you did before. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, dad, you know, you're right. I should be like thinking about how am I going to grow this? And uh, and that's when I started to really take notice. That, okay, I'm three, four years in. I'm, I, you know, moved up and then I leveled off. And I'm like, what am I doing better? You know, I need to figure this out. And so that's kind of where I started having a little bit of doubt around, am I doing this right? 
uh, and I started to think about what are my topics, and that's when the digital thing kind of t- took over. And I started, oh, am I spending time on content? What do I do? And uh, you know, I think probably another year or two is before I decided to get a coach. You touched on your, your family a couple times. Uh, how have you balanced being a dad uh, as you've grown the business? Because there is always that tension, especially given the nature of speaking is... Thankfully, today, there are a lot of options, as you alluded to, coaching programs, virtual, but a lot of the core of speaking is still getting on a plane, leaving your family, going somewhere, standing on a stage. And, you know, the one hour you're on stage is amazing. Everything else is pretty uh, monotonous and tedious. And you're just like, I just want to go home. Uh, So how have you kind of balanced that over the years of being a good a good uh, parent or good spouse? But at at the same time, like like being a successful speaker. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. And so, number one, I. The kids and being a dad are part of my overall story. And so I, as a speaker, I talk about that all the time. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, I have my priorities, right? My priorities are my health and my children, uh, number one, especially when they're young, because when they're here, like that's what I focus on. The business is there too. It's not like you don't uh, deprioritize the business, but you're basically balancing all three balls, right? There's the business, there's the marriage, there's the kids, <laughs> you know, there's your health. You have to balance those things. But, and, and you learn as you go. I mean, sometimes you learn how to prioritize. Some people work too hard and they don't spend time with their kids. Other people like me probably spend a lot of time with their kids, but I don't regret it for the most part. Uh, the story the, the story that really got to me was one of my first international gigs was uh, five days in, in, in England. I decided to um, add on a trip to um, uh, uh, to uh, Germany before, so I was gone for eleven days, and this time the kids were probably like I think uh, they were f- uh, four and six, and oh my god, I I was miserable, man. I missed them so much, like uh, it was crazy. I was like, oh god, I miss you guys so much. I mean, I'm I'm texting them, I'm FaceTiming them, whatever. I was just, and I, was, I said, okay, guys, commitment. Like I said, from now on, I am never going to do this 11 days is crazy so i made a commitment and i talked to my my wife about this at the time but i was like these international gigs are great but i don't want to do that many so i said i will i will cap it at three to four per year i will go on a long trip and if i go on a long trip it'll be four days max so even when i went to india which was probably the farthest i went four days i went for four days and i came back because i prioritized my kids and i want to be with them that's really cool. Uh, I want to shift gears for a second. You have done a lot in the TEDx world. You've done multiple uh, TEDx talks. I get asked all the time from speakers uh, about TEDx, whether or not it makes any difference. I've got my own opinion and two cents, but I'd be curious for you. Should speakers do TEDx talks? And if so, what's the realistic expectation uh, that speakers should have? Well, the general way to describe a TEDx talk is the same thing for a program or a book, being on media, you know, everything you have is an asset, right? So if you speak, and you know, like like speaking for free, right? I spoke at an event for free once uh, that Gary Vaynerchuk was speaking at in front of 2,000 people. But I did that for branding, right? For recognition. Did it lead to gigs? Absolutely, man. That was amazing. And I, and I got to speak with Gary Vaynerchuk. So, you know, the TEDx talk is an incredible asset to have because the whole brand of a TEDx talk is that you are an expert in your field, you are a storyteller, and you're a good speaker and coach. And that's good branding for what you're trying to do. And I can tell you that as soon as I got the speaking gig and I added TEDx speaker to my, my brand, it certainly helped. It's like having a book saying you're an author, a, you know, award-winning author, international bestseller author, whatever that is. All those things are assets. So to me... TEDx is a huge asset to have. Now, 
when it comes to, I've done five TEDx talks and I've actually rejected three other ones. So I actually, you know, was asked to do eight of them. But what I can tell you is that having the right TEDx talk with the right video in particular uh, is really important for uh, marketing and branding. And then more importantly, you look at some of the speakers who, whose speaking careers have taken off, like Brené Brown, Simon Sinek, my friend Drew Dudley. Uh, it, it's when their TEDx talk went to the TED.com stage. It's, if you watch Simon Sinek's TEDx talk, it's grainy. It's with a flip chart. It's not that great. But as soon as they went on the TED.com site, his business and brand took off as a speaker. So I think there's a ton of opportunity for people to get a TEDx talk. And if you are a speaker, it's – I mean – if you're a speaker in particular, like TEDx is a speaking brand asset as opposed to writing a book, right? You know, that that's really important. So I would encourage all speakers to try to get at least one if they can. Now, the, the pushback is, as, as it relates to like the, I think that's the challenges a lot of people see, like the Simon Sinek, the Brene Browns and like, oh, they did a TEDx talk and blew up. And it's like, yeah, those examples do happen for sure. But, you know, those are two of a million uh, TEDx presentations that have been given, you know? So I think it's always challenging for people of like, oh, so the, you know, the path to becoming a professional speaker is just, just do a TEDx talk and it blows up. And you're obviously, you're not saying that, I know. But um, one thing that's also interesting is like, not all TEDx talks are created equal or TEDx venues are created equal. So I'd be curious, like in the five that you've done, my guess is that you can look at them like, okay, that was a much more prestigious TEDx talk than that one. So can you kind of talk about the differences there? Yeah, so, and there's three that I rejected for various reasons. So one of the ones I rejected was actually from my alma mater, but I was like, you know, they had no plan. I said, first question I ask is, what's your, what's your camera situation? What do you, what's your plan? Like, what's your setup? Is it one camera, three camera? Like, because I, I care about the video, man. Like, that's what I want. Um, but they didn't have that set up. They had no website, had no Facebook page. I was like, oh, guys, I'm not going to do this. Sorry. Like, I know you want me, but I'm not going to do it. Um, you have to look at certain things, right? So, what's their camera setup? How far in advance are they playing this thing? So, one of the TEDx's I did was only two months before it happened. And I just, I said yes, but then when I got there, it was pretty disorganized, right? So, uh, but the one that was, uh, the, the two that were really, really good were very organized. They were nine months in advance. They had all this thing planned out. They, you know, it was really, really well put together. So for me, and they had existing collateral, which I think was really important. So I, now the other question I ask is, you know, who are your speakers, right? Because either you're going to be a superstar among a bunch of nobodies, or you're going to be a somebody amongst, amongst a whole bunch of really amazing somebodies. And they're both good for different reasons, Right, they they have they have their advantages, but again, I go back to establish credibility, the camera work, and technology. Because again, I want the video, right? Because when I did the four, the first four TEDx talks all happened very fast. They all happened within about a year and a half to two years, and I just said yes, 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 and I just did it. And then the fifth one, I was more, you know, very particular what I wanted. And so when the fifth one came, it was years later. It only happened like several years ago. I said, you know what, and I pitched that one specifically. So, uh, you know, you have to look at. The people that are there, who are the speakers? Do they have the video credibility? How establishes the brand? Um, but at the same time, for the first one, you know, if, if they are organized and they're doing their first TEDx talk, you can be the star of the show, which can be a good thing as well. Yeah. Uh, let's shift gears again. Um, you mentioned that a lot of your expertise and kind of experience comes from personal uh, networking and uh, developing relationships. And it's a huge, huge part of being a speaker. There's not one uh, one speaker that can speak at every possible gig. And so building relationships with other speakers you can refer and, and, and uh, recommend other speakers has been really valuable. What do you recommend? What do you advise for speakers in terms of building relationships with other speakers? Well, it's a mindset piece, right? So I believe it's a mindset of co-opetition. 
right? So, you know, we are all co- we're, we're competitors, but we're also cooperating with each other. And so with all the speakers that I know, I, I firmly established that that trust by, look, we are cooperators, whatever that is, you know, because in most cases, when you speak at a company or an event, they want someone else. And usually, like, it's very rare to get the same thing. That's why you have to hustle for business a lot. And so, you know, when you establish that, I have I have a list, a database of people in my network that if I need another personal branding person, I know who to recommend. If I need another networking guy, I know who to recommend. And they do the same for me. So I build, I always build a very strong relationship with my fellow speakers, and I tell them very point point blank. I've also set up, uh, you know, um, uh, referrals with each one where you know if we refer each other to business for different things, you know, we take a cut each, which has worked really well. Because uh, speakers, most speakers that are successful and have lots of business, they get this. And so for me, that the competition is a big part of how I run as a speaker too. How do you, uh, how do you determine when to have some type of finder's fee uh, versus when you're just doing it for the relationship? Well, I mean, I think for the most part, for the people that have established this, this rule that we will refer each other, if it's through my own connection and I cannot or don't want to do it, I will take the referral fee for sure, um, because it, you know this is they get it. They wouldn't have they wouldn't have got the gig without me. So they're everyone's happy. Like they're happy to make seventy five percent of whatever or 20, 80, 70, if I, I usually charge twenty five percent. They're happy to get seventy five percent of money that they never had before, right? So uh, it usually works out for the most part. Since the uh, the pandemic, uh, how has your business changed and shifted, and how are you thinking about uh, the 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 speaking business for the future for you? Yeah, so it shifted a lot. I mean, one was digitizing a lot of my programs. So I now have at least five or six different digital programs that people can take, whether they're seven-day courses or you know six-week courses or 12-week courses, things like that. That's one thing. The second thing is the advent of coaching. So now there's more coaching. So, so a few things I've done. One is I now do one-on-one coaching with people, which wasn't a main thing I did. Uh, and it's become a bit of a quite a big revenue generator, which is which is nice. But it's not it's it's something that I'm doing now. Group coaching is something that I'm also doing, uh, particularly around TEDx talks and how how to become paid speakers. And then the other one is community building. So now I'm working on a membership community, which uh, that's that's a new one for me. I just started this last year, and uh, I'm building it up. It's it's very interesting. Uh, but you know, I'm seeing the power of. Uh, of building a membership community. People want to pay to have access to me. And I think that's really great. And once I build that up, then that'll be able to, that's scalable. The digital programs are scalable. The group coaching is scalable. And then when it comes to the speaking thing, I don't, I won't have to speak as much if I don't want to. For now, like I'm fine with it, you know, like, but um, it's about, uh, I learned long ago that you have to find a way to um, make this last beyond you. The, 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 they say that on Shark Tank, you know, what if you hit by a bus? Yeah, you know what? If I did, I would lose all this money. But now I've built a, I've built assets and built systems so that it'll support my kids and my family even if I'm gone. So I think about those things. And the pandemic, the way it's changing, I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to get as many in-person events as we used to. Or it'll take a while before it gets back to it. We're all competing for these much, much fewer spots, which I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to learn to get used to. I'm starting to get used to the fact that maybe we won't have as many of the, the large stadium type things. And also the, the evolution of keynotes. You know, nowadays they don't want the hour-long keynote. They want the short one. They want the short 30 minutes or the 20 minutes. And then they say, can you do 20, 30 minutes, but then add a side workshop on the side. So now what I do is I have, I'll say, yeah, I can give you 30 minutes. I can even do a side workshop and I'll give you access to this program that I have. So I, I'm now able to sophistic, 
sophisticatedly give this to them in a way that brings value to the organizers of the conference or the company. Yeah. Very cool. Bobby, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you sharing your, your insights and wisdom and your journey with us. If people want to find out more about you and, and what you're up to, where can we go? Yeah, so you can follow me everywhere on social media, you know, t- Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. But you, my websites are dypb.ca, discover your personal brand, and then also rayallen.com, which is my speaker training website. Awesome. Bobby, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ray. appreciate it. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us, and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.